Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We are looking at everybody involved in the beating of Tyree Nichols. New moment in the battle against COVID. Announcing the end of the emergencies. The COVID spending needs to end now. Texas. Announcing a border czar. A significant ice storm is in progress. Thousands of flights delayed or canceled. We at the Fed. The time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in, Tom, Benny, Clark, and you. And uh, we're going to be joined with uh, David Walker in just a little bit. Our national debt is now up to $31,457,247,000,000. And 49 cents. We'll be talking to David Walker about that. And still ticking. And still ticking. Yeah. I mean, by the time uh, David comes on, it'll probably be another million dollars more than what I just said. Have you seen the. (laughs) Over in Finland, they decided to showcase a gender neutral figure skater. This is a biological fat man. Looks like he is uh, probably mid-40s, late 40s. Mm. (laughs) Uh, I'm telling you, this would be... This would be like you dressing up in a tutu and going out and trying to figure skate. So I'm a biological fat man. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just imagine... Have you ever ever figure skated before? Uh, This is how bad this guy was. I've been been on ice. This... (laughs) Wasn't much figuring Ice skate surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll even blame, say myself. I mean, this would be like me. It's been 50 years since I've had a pair of ice skates on. Yeah. This would be like me going out in front of a crowd and and actually trying to perform. I mean, the guy was terrible. And then he falls down in the uh, on the ice and can't get up. There was, I, I'm not, there was some young girl who was a part of the pageantry that had to go over and help this fat guy up. <laughs> and and you know over in Finland they're just they're talking, well we want to give everybody a chance. People actually went in and paid to watch this. I mean, do you remember the comedian Benny Hill? Oh yeah. I mean, this this looked like a you know some sort of skit that he would put on where he would dress up on a tutu and go out and try to figure skit. It was unbelievably bad. Now I just I just googled Finland fat skater. <laughs> Did, okay, here it is. Here it is. Watch it uh, if you're watching on the screen. This is this is a guy, and uh, <laughs> now granted he could actually turn around, but there he goes. There he goes down. He's down. Fraser's down, uh, and then he can't get up. I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> People actually went in and paid to watch this. He probably can actually ice skate better than I can right now, but um, not a whole lot. No, uh, and, and people actually paid to watch this. And, and you know, and, and this is this is why this is why the the whole world is going to you know where in a handbasket is because we could care less about actual quality and talents and abilities. It's all about checking off boxes. Now, was uh, was the crowd cheering? Did you have any audio effects here? <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't know. Oh. I, 
right in there. <laughs> he, well, you know what? It kind of reminds me of uh, several months ago. I waited till I was in my mid fifties to ride a mechanical bull. <laughs> you got thrown off pretty quick. Well, I did. The first time was pretty good, but the, I went back two more times, and they got worse. Well, they, they probably the first time. If you if you say you're a novice, they probably are easier than uh, when you come back the second and third time. But if you're listening to us on radio right now, when you get home, uh, turn on the Facebook uh, feed or the Rumble feed, and you can watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, there uh, she goes, Oksana Bio and. Uh, She's not, or he's not, or whatever. Anyway. For sure. uh, News and Observers reporting, Roy Cooper vetoed a pair of GOP bills in 2021 that sought to loosen existing state gun laws. Republicans didn't try to override his decision then. Now bolstered with larger majorities in the General Assembly than they had a year and a half ago, a top GOP lawmaker who resurrected the bills this week says he believes Republicans will have enough votes to pass both pieces of legislation even over another likely veto from the governor. The two bills introduced by GOP Senators Danny Britt, Warren Daniel, and our friend Jim Perry, Senate Bills 40 and 41, are similar to previous versions that earned the support of a handful of Democrats during the 21-22 legislative session when Republicans passed them through the Senate and the House. SB 40 named the Pistol Purchase Permit Repeal, that's a mouthful, would remove the state law Uh, the requirement that anyone buying a handgun in North Carolina first obtain a permit from their local sheriff's office. The other bill, SB 41, protect religious meeting places, would change current laws that prohibit anyone from carrying a firearm into school grounds to allow people with a concealed carry permit to carry guns on school property after hours if the building is being used for religious services. Mm -hmm. So... uh, uh, apparently, to according to Danny uh, Britt, uh, he thinks both these uh, bills will pass and they will both survive a veto. And that second bill it sort of originated out of out of Lenore County, uh, which is you know Jim Perry serves Lenore County because you have some large churches that also have schools affiliated, and because of this law, when they have church service on Sunday, because the the church is on the same you know physical grounds, campus, yeah, campus right. grounds as a school. You know they have no protection, and when when you know you see across the country, you know we had you know what multiple church shootings within a few months. Oh yeah, I mean this is know, a very real church, situation. Church goers are not yeah. allowed to protect themselves. Yeah. So, so anyway, we'll see what happens. And of course, you know the way this bill was described in the News and Observer, it makes it sound more like okay, we want to. Well, I mean it goes both ways, but also for those those congregations that are actually renting school facilities on Sunday morning for their church services, they would be able to protect themselves as well. But it's even it's even more uh, in your face when you consider that it's church property mm-hmm. that in which a, a school resides or, you know, in which the, the church has a uh, school-based... Uh, and, and again, last year when Roy Cooper vetoed these bills, he didn't look at the bills on the merits of the bill. He just and 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 what it meant for citizens in North Carolina. All he said was, you know, hey, the National Democrat Party says don't vote for anything that's positive for gun owners. So I'm gonna vote against. Yeah. And well, you know, the other interesting thing about this is uh, Phil Berger made the point, and I think Tim Moore said it as well, that uh, this was a, a bill that was originally put in place 
during the Jim Crow era to oh, yeah. keep blacks from obtaining guns. Exactly. So it had to go through the sheriff's office so the sheriff could pick and choose who would get a gun and who wouldn't get a gun. Uh, now, when you know, it, it's, it's interesting because that's a, it's a good framing of the argument. Because quite frankly, it's going to be a little tougher for, you know, Roy Cooper and Josh Stein to uh, say, you know, we shouldn't pass this bill when uh, Phil Berger is rightly saying this was a Jim Crow era bill to keep blacks from owning guns. Yeah, yeah, in in a way it's structured. I mean, it doesn't add any additional protections. All all it does is make it uh, subjective to the sheriff to do redundant things before someone gets a weapon and the church and a, a sheriff can just say uh nah tom tom lambert didn't i don't like him he didn't he's, he didn't get right, a permit right so it's it should have been gone a long time ago florida governor ron DeSantis um is in the news today two counts uh the first story is dealing with the fact that uh, he really wants to scrap diversity equity and inclusion from public universities DeSantis asked public university administrators to provide a detailed account of expenditures related to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives as members of the Florida legislature consider budget proposals. He revealed today that his office would work to eliminate DEI and CRT bureaucracies in the state of Florida, that uh, he wants to eliminate them to the point that they wither on the vine, he said. It really serves an ideological filter, he said, noting that the compelled speech and political pressures that emerge under the auspices of diversity programs, quote, were probably are the first state that's actually leading by example, but I can tell you those bureaucracies are not representative of what the people of this state and the taxpayers want in the state. Uh, You know, that is very, that's the bottom line is we have these universities that are led by woke ideology that, and, and, you know, like Florida, like uh, North Carolina, the vast majority of the voters, they, they don't align themselves with that, that, that ideology. No, and, and they use the broad terminology of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but every single example that I've seen, and I've, you know, it, it's, I've actually been through, quote, training as board members before. When you start drilling down into it, it, it it's beyond Marxism. Diversity. Yeah, it's beyond diversity and inclusion. It throws that equity thing in there of where, you know, hey, we got to have equal outcomes instead of equal opportunity. You know, it goes into the whole whiteness and the white privilege and, and, and more issues of dividing people by race and looking at color that, you know, we're supposed to not look at color. So uh, if somebody wants to start talking diversity, equity, and, conclu- and, and inclusion, let me see what you got because it, it's, they're re- they read off the same sheet of music provided by the same people well liberals always you know name their causes by the opposite of what they actually are yeah aka planned parenthood you know uh, it's interesting because desantis this is not the first time that he has you know taken steps to try to make uh the university system down there uh, more conservative more friendly to the voters more friendly to (laughs) our you know, the Western civilization and our constitution. Uh, he also came out, uh, I think it was two years ago and uh, said, look, this, this whole tenure stuff, uh, we're going to undo this. We're going to give university presidents the ability to undo tenure. So, uh, you know, just, just because you've achieved tenure does not mean you can sit on your fat butt for the rest of your life and do nothing or propagate all <laughs> kinds of garbage 
and uh, and and get away with whatever you want to do because you're quote tenured. So uh, DeSantis is uh, continuing to make strides and uh, take the take the state in the right direction. And again, he has not announced what he intends to do in 2024. But apparently, Donald Trump is pretty confident that DeSantis is going to run. <laughs> Uh, over the weekend, Donald Trump really went after DeSantis uh, again, and uh, he was in New Hampshire. He was in South Carolina. Um, he, Trump said there are Republican governors that did not close their states. Florida was closed for a long period of time. I don't know where he gets that. <laughs> when you think of the state that was most open in the entire nation, you think of Florida. It, yeah, I mean, you know— Early on, uh, Ron DeSantis, like a lot of governors, I mean, he he was cautious. He he waited for uh, his own people to tell him what to do, right? And and then pretty imme- pretty immediately made the decision. Hey, we're not going to be closed down. We're right. going to do this, this, and that. We're going to open up you know, monoclonal antibody clinics to keep people from dying when yep. they get COVID, yep. and and do other things. And uh, you know, Trump, I, I don't understand Trump. He he doesn't look at data from what voters are asking for and and he checks all the boxes on certain things but he is so negative on certain things and talks about people like talking about ron DeSantis. i mean that's what lost the election last time yeah i mean but he, he just he, he won't he, listen he went know? on to say ron would have not been governor if it wasn't for me so when i hear he might run i consider that very disloyal <laughs> uh I, yeah he you know, and listen, I loved what Donald Trump did as president. And I'm, I'm probably a fairly typical, you know, right of center conservative, are well a, right of center. Are you an ultra MAGA guy? Uh, well, I, I mean, this kind, this kind of rhetoric doesn't make me excited about uh, you know Trump running again. I've no. got to say, I mean, I, I like the guy. And if he was president, I'd get behind him. If he was our nominee, I'd get behind him. But I, And I don't think this is helping his cause. Oh, I really it's don't. Not. It's not. And I mean, if it turns a guy like me off, I think there's a lot of – and look, I know if you if you love Donald Trump, God bless you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your enemy. But I, th- I think politically speaking, this is a mistake for him. Well, you got to look at the results, and uh, he's last last two election cycles, he's zero for two. Yeah. Hey, we got to take a timeout. Stay with us. When we get back, uh, we're scheduled to have uh, former Comptroller General David Walker with us to talk about uh, the American uh, fiscal issues. Uh, not good, but uh, David always has great insights. We'll be talking to him right after this break. Get the information you need here to be informed and stay informed. Put your song in this heart of mine. Put your smile on my face every time. Cause I love a rainy night. Welcome back in. And uh, I think you're going to have a rainy night tonight. We'll get to the full forecast later in the program. David Walker is a CPA who served as the Comptroller General of the United States from 1998 to 2008 under both Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. He's the founder and CEO of Comeback America Initiative from 2010 through 2013. He currently serves as a distinguished visiting professor and co-chair at the U.S. Naval Academy. He's a member of a number of government nonprofit boards and advisory groups, including the Defense Business Board. He's also the author of numerous books. 
You might remember he was a good friend of Walter Jones Jr. as they were both passionate about fiscal responsibility and how uh, that was putting America's solvency in a high-risk uh, category. Um, it's probably been 12, 14 years ago that David was in Greenville speaking on this issue with the late Congressman Jones. Uh, since then, the problem has only gotten worse. Uh, David Walker is on the phone with us right now. David, good to have you back. Good to be back, Benny. But just for clarification, uh, I was uh, Comptroller General during Clinton and George W. Bush, 43. And okay. Um, okay. While okay. I did, yeah, while I did serve as the Distinguished Visiting Professor for Economics and National Security at the Naval Academy, uh, I'm no longer in that spot, but uh, still very much involved in national issues, including on the Defense Business Board. But Walter Jones was a great member of Congress, and may God rest his soul. Well, our national debt is now thirty-one trillion five hundred four hundred and fifty-seven billion, and uh, and change. Um, it's uh, a lot worse now than it was when you were in Greenville some twelve, fourteen years ago. But uh, it doesn't seem like uh, yeah. I mean, the 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 faces in D.C. change, the names have changed, the parties, you know, who's in charge flips back and forth. But once again, we're looking at raising the debt ceiling. And once again, we've got a president in the White House that uh, basically is trying to blackmail Kevin McCarthy by saying, hey, you know what, uh, we must fulfill and pay our debts. Uh, you know, if, if, if America is going to, uh, you know, if the United States is going to continue to be respected, we've got to raise the debt ceiling, we've got to pay our debts. Uh, do you have any hope that this new Congress will take a serious, responsible approach to our nation's debt and deficit? Yes, because the House flipped, uh, and the new chairman of the House Budget Committee is a good friend of mine who's uh, very dedicated to fiscal responsibility and sustainability, uh, Jody Arrington, who's from West Texas. But let, let's clear up a little bit, Benny, about uh what the facts are about the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling was put in place in 1917 during World War One, as a convenience to the Congress so that the Congress didn't have to approve every new issuance of federal debt. We were at war. Before that, we used to try to balance our revenues and expenditures. And, and uh, up until that point in time, debt to GDP was a very reasonable and sustainable level. But since I left office as Comptroller General, uh, the debt subject to the debt ceiling limit has tripled. And debt as a percentage of the economy, which is the real metric we ought to be focused on, has, has doubled. Uh, Congress is totally out of control. Uh, there is no party of fiscal responsibility anymore, uh, although having some check and balances and not having one party control does help the situation. Uh, the, the debt ceiling was was adopted as a convenience to the Congress, so the Congress didn't have to approve every single issuance of new debt. But now we've become addicted to spending, deficits, and debt, and we need a mechanism that will control excessive federal spending and mounting debt burdens. What and is in that? In that regard, what is that, David? It, it, it is. It, we need two things, Benny. We need a constitutional amendment that will limit how much debt as a percentage of the economy the federal can take on, the federal government can take on, absent 
extraordinary circumstances. And extraordinary circumstances means things like a formal declaration of war, which we haven't done since World War II, or an unexpected national emergency that, uh, that provides a temporary relief based on a supermajority vote of both the House and the Senate. I've become convinced that statutory approaches do not work, the debt ceiling is a dismal failure, and the only way that you're going to get Congress to make the tough choices that are necessary to restore fiscal sustainability is through a constitutional provision, because at least they take an oath to that, although they don't always understand what they're taking an oath to. Uh, this is this is Tom, uh, by, by the way, uh, David. The the uh, I, I I I like what you're saying now. Is basically you, you're talking about a convention of states and and uh, putting forward a, a constitutional amendment that we have to balance the budget. Well, there's two ways to get one, Tom. As you know, the old-fashioned way, where we've got 27, where two thirds of the House and two thirds of the Senate propose an amendment, they send to the states, three quarters of the states have to ratify. There's a second way under Article 5 of the Constitution, and that is the founders envisioned that Washington might become so out of touch or out of control, or that there might be certain issues where they had a fundamental conflict of interest, like controlling federal spending, like term limits, like campaign finance reform, that the states would need to assert, assert their rights under the Constitution. And if two-thirds of the states, which is 34, uh, filed an application for a convention of states to propose amendments, not a constitutional convention, a convention to propose amendments, then the Congress shall call that convention. Well, shockingly, work by myself and a few others has found out that in 1979, 39 states had done that. In 1983, 40 states had done that. And yet Congress did nothing because nobody was keeping score. And so now we're trying to work either to get Congress to call it or to get one or more states, attorneys general, to file suit a mandamus action that would ultimately be decided by the Supreme Court that will force Congress to do it. As, as you're looking at the scorecard right now, could we accomplish the 40-state margin, uh, uh, that, that ratio again? Well, right. Well, uh, in 1979, we had 39. Well, we needed to have 34. In, in 83, we had 40. Right. You know, it's like a football game. You cross the goal line, it's a touchdown, right? Uh, the fact that Congress failed to discharge their responsibility at those times, which, by the way, it is a ministerial, a mandatory responsibility. They have no discretion over it. Um, you know, they should not be rewarded for that. So, so it, it should be called. Today, we're at 31. Yeah, can we get to 34 again? We can, but we shouldn't have to because Congress has already failed to discharge their ministerial mandatory responsibility. Well, can you now, go if Congress decides they want to do one themselves, that's fine, but I'm not very optimistic in that regard. Can you go back and lean on the, when we were at the 40 <laughs> mark back in 84? Or is, that, is that bygone history and there's nothing you can do about it now? No, they're, they're you know, um, the 27th Amendment was adopted after 200 years. So unless there is an explicit uh, uh, limit 
on on the uh, on the validity of the application and or the time frame for uh, for adopting an amendment, uh, then they they're still current. Okay, uh, and, and so uh, you know, in the contrary, for the Equal Rights Amendment, there was a specific time limitation on how long it would the people had or right. the states had to ratify that, and that time limit expired. For these, there's not a time limit, and therefore, we we cross the goal line. It's time for action. Was there a specific issue uh, related to when we got to the 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 forty state mark? Yes, yes. As you may recall, when Ronald Reagan uh, was governor of California, and before he announced for the president of the United States. The issue was fiscal responsibility, which at that point in time, people talked about a balanced budget. Uh, the real issue is, you know, keeping debt to GDP at reasonable, sustainable levels rather than a balanced budget for a variety of reasons, which we can talk about. That was the issue he picked as his issue to achieve the presidency, and he was exce- he was successful. What's disappointing is that he never knew, nor did anybody, quite frankly, until recently, that his goal was achieved as far as hitting the requisite number of applications by states. Uh, and and since that point in time, the debt has gone from less than a trillion dollars to over $31 trillion, and the value of the dollar has declined by over 75%. Is there anyone working on a suit to take before the Supreme Court to try to enact uh you know go ahead and hey, let's let's go ahead and deal with these issues well there's two things that are going on uh chairman jody errington who's chairman of the house budget committee uh, is going to introduce a resolution in the house a concurrent resolution drawing attention to this issue he introduced one in the last house but as you know every time you have a new congress you have to reintroduce right uh, we also have a senator a prominent senator on the Senate Budget Committee, who I won't name right now, who's committed to do the same thing in the Senate. We'll see where that goes. Uh, but but uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who's the former attorney general for the state of Virginia, or the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I right. live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, Ken and I are partnering to try to get one or more attorney generals uh, to file a mandamus case. And we've had conversations with several, but those conversations are confidential. So we're employing a dual-track approach. We're trying to work through Congress to get Congress to do its job, which would be nice. Uh, But at the same point in time, we're also pursuing the state option uh, in the event that Congress doesn't do its job. We're talking to David Walker over the fiscal fiasco in our country right now and uh benny's got a question for you david hey david uh thank you for being with us as always um you've told us um you know that the 14th amendment of the constitution guarantees that our government has to pay its debt and has to pay its interest but you know we see all the time politicians particularly on the democrat side you know getting and screaming talking about you hey we've the the government's got to pay their debt we've got to increase our debt limit so we can pay our debt even what well, a couple of weeks ago, I heard Janet Yellen even say that. She knows better. She's the Treasury Secretary. And she started, um, you know, they talk about the Treasury Secretary having the ability to uh, implore um, extraordinary measures in case we can't reach an agreement on the debt limit. And maybe two weeks ago, she, 
you know, did, not, did change some investments where the federal government didn't invest in the, in the retirement funds and things such as that. Uh, as she implements these extraordinary measures and we get closer and closer to that debt limit, how do you think that will affect our markets and our economy? Well, first, Yellen started yelling uh, about something that was not an immediate emergency and that has happened many times before. We've employed extraordinary measures many times before, uh, and we probably have until June to resolve this issue. But, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation about the debt limit. Uh, there's, there's only one thing that's guaranteed by the Constitution, and that's public debt and interest on the public debt. Nothing else is guaranteed. Social Security is not guaranteed. Medicare is not guaranteed. Nothing else is guaranteed by the Constitution. The other thing that people don't understand is the debt that's held by the Social Security and Medicare trust funds is part of the debt ceiling limit, all right? So, therefore, as long as you have assets or government bonds in those trust funds, then Social Security and Medicare payments won't be affected even if you hit the debt ceiling limit, okay? Uh, because uh, until those bonds are exhausted, you're not changing the debt limit. But basically what the situation is, Congress doesn't want to have to make tough choices on cutting spending and or raising t- taxes from keeping things to getting worse. And so they cry wolf. And they've just done this over and over and over again. The answer is this. Uh, look, I think we're not going to allow... Uh, a a default, by that I mean the default of other payments other than the national debt and accrued interest, because we can't default on that. Um, We're not going to allow that to happen, but there clearly ought to be conditions for raising it. And in my view, there's a couple of things that we ought to consider. Not specific spending cuts and details like that. That ought to be handled through the fiscal 2024 budget resolution. Uh, Rather, we ought to be talking about things that will get our finances over control, under control over time. Like, how about a vote on this joint resolution that will be introduced uh, calling for a convention of states to propose a fiscal responsibility amendment? If the Congress won't do it, let the states do it. And then secondly, you know, how about a federal fiscal sustainability commission that is statutory that will engage the American people with the facts, the truth, the tough choices, listen to what they have to say, make recommendations, and get a guaranteed vote in the Congress that will provide cover for the Congress to make these tough choices. Those are the kinds of things that are very reasonable and responsible as it relates to the debt ceiling. Things where you're talking about detailed spending cuts by individual programs, that's got to be handled through the normal budget process. I've got to say, David, this is Tom again. You are very optimistic that this can happen. And prior to uh, having you on today, I was very pessimistic that this would happen. And uh, even with the confidence you have in Jody Arrington, uh, and you know, Jody's probably very capable, but you, you've got to deal with you know 435 other yo-yos up there, and or 434 other yo-yos. 434, right? Yeah, yeah that uh, it's it's uh, such an uphill climb. Uh, <laughs> say good things to us that uh i mean i, I love your optimism but I, I i i wish i could have that right now because i'm very pessimistic yeah make this. us make us sleep better tonight <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the bottom line is look i'm an american so i'm optimistic by nature but i'm also a realist 
yeah, you know, and, and the fact is, uh, we, we should have done a lot of the things that I'm talking about a long time ago, but we haven't done it. But the fact is, when you have when you have divided government, things have to operate differently. Okay, uh, and you know, when you have one party that controls everything, you eliminate significant checks and balances. Uh, and the truth is, there's no party of fiscal responsibility right now. That, that's just the honest to God truth. One is just uh, not as the, bad as the other, but they're both bad. Well, right. Yeah. That's correct. And, and the truth is, the people are way ahead of the politicians. I mean, there's nobody in the country that's done more public education and engagement on this issue than I have. And the people are ahead of the politicians. They know you can't spend more money than you make, charge it to the credit card, and not expect to have a day of reckoning in the future. They understand that. Uh, and and so that's why I say we need a constitutional amendment because the debt ceiling has failed and statutory approaches have not stood the test of time. And we need a, a statutory fiscal sustainability commission that will include people who are credible, capable, and uh, will, will be able to do the job in a nonpartisan fashion. You know, David, something that I read recently that I think kind of supports maybe your optimism is, you know, we see all the polls of what's important to voters and, and citizens, and, and more and more you're seeing the the polls say, you know, it, it, it doesn't talk about things about the the, the border and, and this and that as much as it does about their biggest concern is leadership, and not only in the White House but in Congress. And I think the more – that the people say we, we, we our failures are based on failed leadership. I think uh, you know maybe uh, at some point somebody's going to listen and uh, and and the optimism is warranted. Well, I I invented a new word which needs to be in Webster's dictionary, but uh, so far I don't think it's in there. You know, and, and that is the word laggardship. <laughs> leadership leadership is looking ahead, seeing the trends, the challenges. Uh, taking steps to capitalize on the opportunities, mitigate the risk, getting things done through others. That's what leadership is. The opposite of that is laggardship, and that's what we have in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had it for a while. Well, not only that, but we have people that, in all honesty, David, it appears to me that, you know, back when it was Reagan and Tip O'Neill, to to a certain degree, they both wanted to see America succeed. Again, two different philosophies. But now I see politicians up there that is quite obvious uh, by the current administration, the the, the individual that was the speaker, uh, Madam Pelosi, it appears to me that they're in it for themselves, and uh, they don't really care what happens to the United States as long as they get their goodies. Uh, and maybe I'm being too blunt. Well, yeah. yeah, I hope that's not the case, but I will tell you this. We now are in a situation that the founders did not envision. The founders envisioned that people who would serve in public office at the federal level would come out of the real world. Bingo serve for a temporary period of time, and then go back to the real world. We now have professional politicians who want to try to make this a career. We need 12-year term limits, and that is going to take a constitutional amendment. But the first thing that we need to do is we need to to impose a debt-to-GDP constitutional amendment because if we don't put our finances in order, nothing else will matter over time. Exactly. 
David Walker, thank you, sir. We do appreciate you uh, visiting with us this afternoon. Thanks for what you do. Where can people go to find out more of the things that you've talked about? I'm sure they're in, in your books, but uh, is there a place they can go online? And is there and what can they well, do I'm, to? You know, go ahead. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I, you know, I just rejoined Twitter, Twitter although I'm oh. not a big Twitter person. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, I've got day for deficit ranger.com, which is a website that's got some of my material on it, although some of it is a little bit dated, but, um, those, those are some places they can go. My latest book is America in 2040 colon still a superpower question mark. And the answer is yes, if, and no one less read the book <laughs> by the way who came up with the title of that book <laughs> i did <laughs> and my brother did the cover <laughs> congratulations yeah. david on the book and thanks so much for joining us this afternoon we do appreciate it and uh, keep right. keep up Y'all the good take work care. Uh, take thank care you, thanks stay with us benny and i'll be right back That's us. Maxine. Uh, Maxine is no longer the head of what committee was she on? She was on the head of the, or well, I know she was on committee? the finance. I think she yeah. was head of the finance committee. <laughs> that is which scary. Is, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but you know, I got a theory that, uh, you know, that the dumber, you know, Democrats, Democrats, you have to check boxes. They won't candidates to check a lot of boxes and one of them is the dumb box they want that dumb box checked because dumb dumb uh, elected officials can be controlled uh, they're easier to control. mess with me oh, yeah, yeah. speaking <laughs> of dumb um take a quick look at your weather forecast uh, tonight showers uh, becoming a steady steady rain overnight low of 42 tomorrow cloudy skies some rain a high of 45 it gets colder as the week goes on tomorrow's high uh, tomorrow's low 36 Thursday, a high of 42, and by the time we get to uh, Saturday, Saturday's high is supposed to be 41. It's it's hard to imagine that we're not going to see some frozen precip between now and Sunday. Yeah, you would think if the timing is just right, we could uh, we could yeah. get a little bit. Yeah. If uh, you want to go out and play golf, well, probably not this weekend, but... <laughs> Weather is brought to you by Ironwood Golf and Country Club, voted best golf course in Greenville for the fourth year in a row. They boast boast an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, members-only full-service dining areas with uh, monthly social activities, competition-sized swimming pool, clay tennis courts, making Ironwood the perfect place to make new traditions with your friends and family. Call Ironwood, and uh, the gal you want to talk to is Jenna Doyle. Her number is 252-752-4653 to find out more i tell you what i am really feeling old lately because all these people that uh, i grew up with are passing away um laverne and shirley Cindy williams yeah yeah she was the cute one on there yeah she and 75 years old mm. and uh yeah there you go
Anyway, uh, and and um, Penny um, Penny, Marshall. Penny Marshall passed away back in uh, 2018. What was the two goofy guys on there? Uh, uh, Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, believe it. I, I think that show was on like seven years. I, I must say, I, it wasn't on my uh, must-watch TV list. But uh, sorry to see that happen. <laughs> uh, Stephen Curry. Um, he's you know he seems like a nice guy, uh, and it seems like uh, you know the the Curry family, Dale Curry and uh, his mom, Christian family, seemed like they had the right priorities. Surprisingly, um, Stefan is it Stefan or Stephen? I, I can't remember. There was two. Uh, there was a Stephen and there was a Stefan. I, anyway, I think he's Stephen. I okay. think the the one that's such a good player is Stephen. That's making NBA All Star. I, I think he was the highest paid uh, athlete uh, in the nation, maybe in the world. He's the best shooter I have ever seen. Yeah. Bar uh, none. Anyway, um, his thirty million dollar mansion. He is upset because they're supposed to put in, or they're planning to put in a low house, low income housing. low income housing right around his. Uh, <laughs> And and bottom line is, I mean, he he got behind Joe Biden. Yeah, he's uh, done all kinds of things to support Joe, endorse Joe. I think not. And uh, now, I mean, it's again another picture of hypocrisy that yeah. comes from liberals. I, I mean, I like him, I, but maybe his liberalism comes from his coach um, Steve Kerr, that coach for the Bulls uh, now, or played with the Bulls, played with Michael Jordan. He's pretty far left lib, but. Typical lib. They want rules for you, you but, but not, not for me. me. Exactly. I mean, always. Stay with Typical. us. We'll be right back. You know things are bad in California when dope-smoking pothead progressives are leaving the state over high taxes and burdensome regulations. Grateful Dead legend Jerry Garcia's relatives are leaving California because of the Golden State's high taxes an anti-business climate just too harsh for the family marijuana business where are they moving i don't know but uh, probably oregon for you <laughs> hey listen we gotta run our thanks again to david walker and we'll do it again tomorrow at five o'clock we'll see you then bye bye everybody <laughs>